Now is the time, now is the best time, now is the best time of your life. I felt that there should be something built, some kind of a, an amusement enterprise built where that the parents and the children could uh, have fun together. As you will soon discover, being a guard of the Galactic Federation is not without its challenges. Oh, this is terrible. I can't do this show alone. I, I know. The gang can't be far. I'll call them. W Radio. Your information station. Hello and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I'm your host, Lou Mangello, and this, my friends, is show number 93 for the week of November 16th, 2008. In Walt Disney World news this week, we'll look at Disney's latest technological initiative, which will keep guests connected and informed in amazing new ways starting next year. I'll also tell you where and when you can get to meet Santa and the reopening of some new, old shops over at Disney's Hollywood Studios. I just returned from Walt Disney World and brought back some segments that I think you're going to enjoy. First, I had a chance to visit and have a personal tour of the new Nine Dragons restaurant in China in Epcot's World Showcase. Having recently opened after a long refurbishment, we discussed the changes to the restaurant's decor and menu, as well as explore its cultural heritage and beautiful, rich symbolism located throughout. I also had a wonderful opportunity to sit and chat with a man who's worked for the Walt Disney Company I have admired for some time, and whose new book afforded me an even greater appreciation of not just the man, but the lesson he's now sharing with others. Lee Cockrell, former Executive Vice President of Operations at the Walt Disney World Resort, is going to talk with me about his background, work with and for the company, and his new book, Creating Magic, 10 Common Sense Leadership Strategies from a Life at Disney. It's a fascinating look at the work, and more importantly, the people backstage that make the magic for us as guests. Mr. Cockrell offers practical, real-world advice coupled with wonderful stories from his tenure at Disney that people can use in their everyday life. I'll also announce the winner of last week's Carousel of Progress contest and give you the questions for this week's contest where I'll be giving away not one, but five prizes. I'll give you a hint at what's to come in future shows before playing some of your voicemails. So as always, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. In exciting news coming out of Walt Disney World this week, Disney announced an alliance with cell phone provider Verizon to bring some unprecedented new experiences to guests at both Walt Disney World and Disneyland Resorts right on the Verizon wireless cell phones. This new multi-year relationship is going to enhance the guest experience like never before, not just in the parks, but even before guests arrive, because they're going to be able to have a personal tour guide right on their cell phone along with other new services right in the parks. So imagine receiving up-to-the-minute tips on special park activities, 
right on your phone, getting a call from Buzz Lightyear welcoming you and your kids to the Magic Kingdom. The services that are currently planned range from the practical and helpful to also fun and very entertaining. So Verizon Wireless customers are going to be able to download exclusive mobile applications that are going to give those guests the ability to easily locate shows, restaurants, and even the Disney characters anywhere inside the parks. They're also going to be able to get, and this is I think is great, real-time attraction availability information, get mobile games, and receive messages from characters and a whole lot more. Now, if you're not a Verizon Wireless customer and you're staring at your cell phone or your iPhone like it's a very expensive brick at this point, have no fear. Because although Verizon Wireless customers will have exclusive access to a lot of enhanced features, Disney and Verizon are also working to make sure that some of the information such as dining locations and show times and locations are going to be available to all Disney Parks visitors regardless of your wireless company. On a personal note, I think this is a phenomenal idea. And once again, Disney really is on the leading edge of offering these type of services, these types of advances in technology. And, and I'm really, really happy that it's going to be accessible to all cell phones and carriers on some level. And I think it's also going to have a huge positive impact on the entire guest experience. I think having the wait times and the show times in and of themselves available instantly on your cell phone is literally going to change the way some people can tour the parks. Look for more details to come out early next year as both Disney and Verizon expect to add a suite of services and functionalities to really help guests at the parks have the most magical experience possible. Obviously, for more information, you can go and visit DisneyWorld.com. For more information about Verizon, you can go visit Verizon.com. Now, if you don't have a cell phone and maybe you want one for Christmas, you, and of course your children, can go see Santa, make sure that you're on the nice list over at his chalet in the downtown Disney Marketplace now through December 24th, 2008. From the 15th to the 27th, you can meet him between 5 and 10 p.m. From November 28th through December 24th, he's going to be a little bit busier, so you can visit him between noon and 10 p.m. Santa's got long days ahead of him. Guests should check in with the downtown Disney guest services the day that they're planning on going just to confirm his schedule for that day. Speaking of downtown Disney, while I was wandering and working by the water there last week, I noticed a sign outside the World of Disney store advertising a new limited-time-only offering of free personal shopping service. Curious as I am, I had to go inside and see what this was all about and learn a little bit more. I was able to speak with a very helpful cast member who explained that part of the theory behind it was that it could help some of the busy conventioners who need to come in, get a gift before they get out quickly, or really anybody that maybe doesn't have a lot of time to shop. And then she went on to explain in a little bit more detail exactly how the service works, what the process is, how you can go about making arrangements yourself. I took some audio. I'm going to go ahead and play that for you right here. And what we do is we go around with them and help them find the merchandise they want because they're in a hurry. They want to get out in an hour okay. or whatever. They, they have to catch a plane. So we go around with them and we help them. We get everything they need and we stay with them for as long as we, they, they're shopping. Then we quick ring, ring it up for them at every, one of our registers. So we don't hand them off or anything like that. We actually service them. So we're servicing them. Um, it, it's especially helpful for like a like woman came in, she's in a wheelchair, and some of the things she can't even reach. Okay? okay. So she doesn't have to get someone else. We stay with her 
and we help her. We get the sizes she needs, or we get something in a box form and so forth. So we're here to help them make it a quicker and an easier experience for them. And it's free? Yes, it's free. It is free. You can call mail order and they'll uh, slot you in. Uh, normally we give them a half hour, but it could be more. It depends on the person. So you recommend calling in advance or do you need to call in advance? Uh, we have not been overbooked. Uh, we do have enough cast members around that we can pull that are a part of the program. There are people that have been trained to be part of that program. And um, we do pull them if they need them. My guest walked up to me at the register the other day and she asked for a personal shopper. And I told the manager, manager about a personal shopper for her right away because she was in a hurry. She had to catch a flight. So uh, sometimes they wait till last minute and then they're in a hurry and there's certain things they need. Kind of like why I'm here, late for my flight and looking for <laughs> But that's what it is. It's not a, it's it's not uh, any cost to anybody. It's just something to help the guests. Okay? Excellent. Expedite them if they're, you know, or it, sometimes the store is just too overwhelming for some of the guests, the guests that come in and we're able to help them find their way around. Now it's a limited time offer. Is there something that you're, it's like at a trial well, period? Right or? now it's a trial period thing. We want to see how successful it is, okay? Again, there is no charge, you know, and we're just happy to do it for you. And we do have the cast members at this time to do it. And if someone wants to call to sort of schedule it in advance, who do they call? You call mail order. You would call this number and you would tell them you were just looking for a personal shopper. And uh, they would sign you up and then you would arrive that day and we would have someone waiting to meet you. Excellent. 407-363-6200. Great. Thank you very much. You're welcome, my pleasure. Take care. I apologize for the relatively poor quality of that audio. It was sort of a last-minute thing. I just decided to record while starting to talk to her. Again, that number for Walt Disney World mail order, if you want to talk about or schedule a personal shopping experience, again, it's free, is 407-363-6200. I really like this idea. Uh, I wish I had time to try it just to sort of experience it firsthand. When I did post a picture via Twitter, uh, a couple of people had asked me, via email or via Twitter replies, you know, what's the catch? Uh, there's got to be a catch to it. It can't be free. I'm very happy to say that after recording with this cast member and then speaking to another one, there is none. It seems like it's something that Disney is just experimenting with simply as a service to the guests. As the cast member said, the store is huge and it can be very, very overwhelming to guests. Again, she also mentioned guests that have some mobility issues in wheelchairs, maybe can't reach things. This is a great, great service for them alone. Also, if you, like me, get there, you're getting ready to run out to the airport, you forgot to bring something home for your very understanding and very supportive wife, that is a great way to do it. I can't figure out what to get her. I've gotten her everything since I've been here so many times. Give me some ideas. They'll take you around the store. They'll help you shop. And again, it's completely free. I'd ask that if anybody listening has had any uh, experience with the personal shopping service, please let us know. Share your experiences or even just call the voicemail. You can call toll-free 888-703-2171. And speaking of shopping and stores, the last bit of news this week is that the stores along Sunset Boulevard over at Disney's Hollywood Studios, Once Upon a Time, Mouse About Town, and Sunset Club Couture, which have been closed for some time as part of a very extensive refurbishment, reopened just a few days ago. I had a chance to visit the stores, which have now been combined into sort of one large shop. The look and decor of the store is changed very much, evidencing a much more art deco feel. The flooring is all new and quite shiny and beautiful, I might add. Uh, the dark woods are accented with black and metal trim. 
Uh, I'm very happy to say that the watch artist is still there, but with a new desk, it's in the center of the room. It's much more open and accessible to guests. I invite you to please go over, say hello to my good friend and one of the most talented artists on property. His name is Jason Zucker. He's been on the show once before. He is an exceptional, exceptional cast member, loves to chat about animation, art, Walt Disney, so much more. Go over, check out his work and the work of some of the other watch artists, as well as the beautiful custom watches that he and the other artists create. Also, there's a lot of new merchandise in the store, too. A lot of adult clothing for both men and women, so I invite you to go over and check out the new shops as well. So that's going to do it for this week's Walt Disney World News. As always, if you have news that you want to share, email me at lou at wdwradio.com. Or to discuss anything that I covered in this week's news section, go over to the forums at disneyworldtrivia.com. Last month, the Nine Dragons restaurant reopened at the China Pavilion at Epcot's World Showcase. After undergoing a major renovation and, and more than simply a physical transformation, the menu and overall atmosphere changed as well, offering a much more contemporary feel in both decor and menu as well in flavors. And joining me today is Nelson Ying, the Vice President, Stephen Fan, the General Manager, and Cindy Yu, the Manager of Administration, to talk about some of the changes to the restaurant, as well as to helping us to explore much of its cultural heritage and rich symbolism. So, thank you very much. Welcome to the you, WW Lou. Radio Show. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lou. We appreciate it. So, let's just talk a little bit of, you know, the restaurant, like I said, opened a few weeks ago after a really major renovation. And before we talk about what's new, uh, I understand that even before the restaurant opened, to guests and the general public. There was a, a rededication and a sort of a traditional ceremony that involves the dotting of the dragon's eyes. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was? Uh, sure. On the morning of uh, September 24th, we had a uh, dotting of the dragon eyes in our lobby. We have two uh, beautiful new glass dragons there uh, chasing a pearl. And it's very traditional in Chinese um, businesses across the world to uh, dot the eyes. And we had uh, Jim McPhee and uh, Keith Bradford of Disney here uh, to uh, do the honors of dotting the eyes and really uh, reopening the restaurant, really reawakening uh, the dragon, which is very symbolic for us being the Nine Dragons restaurant. Well, that actually leads me to my next question. Let's talk about the name itself. Um, I'm sure there's definitely a, a meaning and a reason behind the Nine Dragons name. Uh, sure. Uh, the the number nine is very um, is very closely associated with dragons uh, for many reasons. Uh, but uh, we've had the name Nine Dragons uh, since we first opened in 1985. Uh, the restaurant itself opened in 1985, and it refers to the Nine Dragon Sons. Uh, it's, it's it's very mythical, and it's probably best known uh, in terms of the, the Nine Dragons screen or the, the Nine Dragons wall, which you, you can actually find um, in Beijing, China itself. And uh, each Nine Dragons, each of the Nine Dragons, have different names and different personalities, and it's quite fascinating. As I walked in this morning. And when I first came a few weeks ago, I noticed that over the entranceway, over the doorway, it says D.C. Ying, proprietor. Now, is D.C. Ying a real person, or is he part of the, the story of the Nine Dragons? Uh, it's, it's a little bit of both. It's, it's, both uh, it's, it's both a person as well as a company in terms of... Um, um, 
in terms of our company here within Disney, um, it is it actually is is my name in Chinese, uh, but is also the name of of our corporation, and uh, it's, it's been that way since 90, 1982, when uh, the gift shop first opened, and since 1985 when the restaurant and the and the cafe first opened. And you told me earlier that there was actually a reason, to a certain degree, why they used your name regarding the number of brushstrokes that are actually used to write it. Uh, well, uh, my name in Chinese actually uh, is also the name of the company, and it, it, uh, it could mean Great China, but uh, it also has, my, my full name has uh, 24 brushstrokes, which is the same number of brushstrokes as my father, and uh, my, 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 gran- my grandmother um, went through her books and her, and her um, and, and, and speaking with others and found that 24 brushstrokes was, was very good for our names, and so um, it sort of fit. So there's a lot of uh, synergy and, and symbolism there. Is it because it's a multiple of eight, which is traditionally a lucky number? It could very well be. I have to sort of uh, speak with her again. But yes, eight is a very lucky number. Uh, the Olympics uh, recently started on August 8th, 2008. And in Chinese, uh, it sounds very similar to uh, um, prospering and developing. And so, so that's, that's probably the luckiest number in, ch- in Chinese. And nine also, you said too, is lucky in, in another way, but has a bit of a different meaning. Certainly, uh, nine um, sounds very much like like a, a long period of time. It could mean sort of a long journey or uh, ha- having a long life. So, so that's also very lucky. And of course, it is uh, the nine dragons as well. Well, before we get to the food, which is really what I definitely want to get to and what I enjoyed about the restaurant, is that I want people to appreciate when they come in, not just the beautiful decor. And again, it's very contemporary is very modern, but there still is a lot of heritage. There's a lot of symbolism in here, and I want people to sort of explore the restaurant when they come in. Uh, so, for example, I know when I came in, you mentioned the two dragons in the lobby. Maybe that's a good place to start there. There's actually a story behind what those dragons and what that pearl represent. Uh, sure. Uh, the the two dragons chasing the pearl is a very common theme um, in, in Chinese mythology and Chinese culture. And for us specifically, they're chasing the pearl of wisdom and immortality. And if, if you actually take a very close look, the one that's closer to the pearl, the dragon that's closer to the pearl, has five claws versus uh, four claws, which represents that uh, he is the emperor dragon. He is the one who is about to actually catch the pearl. Yeah, you see dragons throughout the pavilion and throughout the restaurant. It's a It's a very common, very popular symbol in the culture and has a lot of different meanings, or is it, does it mean sort of, does it represent the, the emperor, or does it represent power? It, it, um, it could represent both of those, and it, it certainly is, is a very powerful creature, very um, um, influential creature. Um, it, it itself is supposed to be made up of several other creatures, and um, it's, you know, we could probably talk all day about, about dragons, <laughs> uh, but there are those two dragons on the wall. There's actually another dragon right on top um, as, you, as you enter the lobby, there are many other dragons all, all throughout um, the restaurant as well as all throughout the pavilion. And the other thing I noticed when we first came in, as we sort of enter the restaurant area from the lobby, are the two food dogs. And if you notice throughout the pavilion, you'll find food dogs at the entrances to not just the restaurant, but the uh, gift shop as well. What do the food dogs represent? Well, yes, you uh, often see them um, outside of uh, Chinese businesses, and they are also a sign of, of good luck and of, of welcoming. Uh, they normally are paired off, if you will, and if you take a close look, one of them is a, uh, is a female food dog who is a protective of, uh, of, of, the, of the children um, of food dogs. Excellent. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the other things, some of the other symbolism or changes uh, in the decor that we might see when we come into the restaurant? Uh, well, I know that you... Um, 
really liked uh, the new glass work that we had um, in, in on one of the walls of our dining room. And in fact, uh, those, are, those are mostly dragons, but there's also some other mythical creatures there as, as well. There are some food dogs and lions and a, and a chiling, um, all of them which have different stories and, and different meanings and different um, names, if you will. And uh, that that was that was very nice because uh, that type of glass casting um, has well the, the the name of it is is Lili, which which has been the name itself has been around for thousands of years, but the process of crystal glass making in China has a long heritage and long uh, cultural, religious, and artistic meaning as well. And this specific type of uh, glass was really um, rediscovered, refined, and perfected over the last few decades, and has really become very popular throughout China. And if you if you come and take a look. It's really quite beautiful. And as for the rest of the restaurant, we did want to sort of keep the traditional. Uh, one of the things that the guests really loved were the rosewood archways when you would enter the restaurant, as well as the rosewood dividers. And we, we kept that. However, we've brightened uh, the dining room, it's not only with light, but with, uh, with lighting, with color. And much of the color also sort of brings out a um, a, a sort of a, a, a sexy, jazzy type of china, which a lot of folks have not seen before. Uh, we've, we've completely changed the tables and the chairs. We now have banquettes um, along the walls. And so there's, there's really many things um, new about the restaurant, but still there's a lot of old favorites, so people will still feel very comfortable coming here, I think. Absolutely. And that was the first thing I noticed when I came in was that it was much brighter. Um, and, and the view, obviously, of the promenade and the lagoon is just spectacular. And as we were sitting here this morning, you mentioned something else that I hadn't noticed. And that was above sort of the, one of the main chandeliers in the ceiling. Obviously, the, the color gold also has a lot of symbolism meaning. But there's something a little bit special about your ceilings here as well. That's right. In uh, the three areas of our, the three main areas of our dining room, uh, the center uh, chandelier areas does have uh, gold leaf, uh, and also on the wall, which which has the nine cabinets of the mythical creatures that I was talking about before, the back of those walls also have uh, gold leaf as well. And, and yes, gold is a very important color, but it's obviously also a very beautiful color and brings a great brightness and class to the whole dining room. All right, let's get to the really important things now, which is obviously the food and the, men- and the menu. And that, of course, didn't take long. And like you said, in addition to sort of updating the look and feel of the restaurant, you've done the same with the menu as well, sort of much, a little bit more traditional. But some other things that you might not find sort of at your local Chinese restaurant. Tell us a little bit about what the thought process was when you were designing the new menu for the restaurant. Sure. Uh, it, it was very similar, sort of bringing the tr- traditional and the modern together, bringing back some old favorites, but also introducing some new things which some guests may not have uh, tried before unless they've actually been to China. Uh, we have a lot of old favorites like the, the honey sesame chicken, the kung pao chicken, the um, Canton pepper beef, but we also have a lot of uh, new interesting things. We have um, a, uh, a zhajiang noodle sampler, which is a very sort of an interactive and fun mix of noodles on, on the dinner menu. We also have a um, rotisserie chicken on the dinner menu as well. Uh, during lunch, we have a, a, a great lunch box set, which has a sort of a Western Chinese uh, pulled pork with uh, um, Chinese uh, sesame bread. And um, really, when, when it comes to the old favorites, they're still there, but uh, it's a new presentation. And we've taken some other old favorites and represent, uh, represented them in a new way, such as the General Tso's uh, chicken dumplings, or uh, there's, there's something very interesting called the, the shrimp and taro lollipops. And, uh, and so I think there's going to be something for everybody. But the important thing is that our flavors, our food is still very authentic. It's just presented in a, in a modern way. And uh, particularly, we found that guests love our sauces, and they just often order more and more sauces. So, um, so, so please come and try. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's the one thing I had noticed when I first looked at the menu when I came here for lunch, actually the day that you opened, was that I was excited to see things that you know and would expect at a Chinese restaurant. But there were things that if you wanted to be a little bit more adventurous, and that isn't even the right word because there's nothing on the menu that you know should scare people away. If you want to do try a different flavor, this is a great way to do it. Um, and we talked about some of the additions. Do some of the, these new items and some of the items on the menu, do they come from a specific region of China or are they from a lot of different flavors and areas of the, of the nation? Oh, yes, yeah, certainly, they certainly do. Uh, you know, China's a very large country with uh, many different regional cuisines. And uh, in terms of, for, for example, um, in terms of, of Beijing, which has been of so much interest recently, um, our cucumber salad is actually, the recipe comes from one of the most re- renowned uh, guest houses in Beijing. It's often served to uh, foreign VIPs and foreign, dig- foreign dignitaries. Um, our, our chicken, our ro- rotisserie chicken in the evening actually also has a, a flavor and a feel that's similar to Beijing duck, but it, it is chicken. Um, and our zhajiang noodle sampler is also a northern Chinese dish uh, because they often do not eat rice as much as the south. But they do eat noodles and they have these very interesting sauces they put with the noodles. Uh, in terms of uh, western or central China, we have, as I said before, the pulled pork um, and, and the bread, which is, which is more uh, familiar to them. And when we come to southern China, uh, our uh, General Zhou's chicken, which is a guest favorite, that, that has a great story. And that's sort of uh, supposedly from Hunan province, which is sort of uh, su- southern central China, if you will. And finally, the Canton pepper beef, and that is from the, the southernmost or one of the southernmost uh, provinces of China. And, and that's also um, a guest favorite as well. Yeah, and there's definitely something on the menu for everybody, including if you don't want or can't have any sort of meat in your dish. There are vegetarian dishes as well. And there's also some lighter, healthier fare as well for people if they're looking to sort of watch their weight, which obviously I'm not doing based on what I've been ordering. Uh, but even when I was here, all the food seems very light. It's very rich in flavor, but it's not very heavy. So you leave full, but you don't leave you know, too stuffed. Right. We certainly want to focus on that, not to have uh, any dishes that are, are, are too greasy or too salty or too sweet and um, just have a very balanced uh, type of um, menu. But we do have um, a great salad, a great Chinese chicken salad, and we also have the vegetarian choices, such as the vegetarian fried rice or the vegetarian stir-fry. And really, all in all, um, as you all probably know, Disney is moving towards healthier eating, and we are, uh, if not following their guidelines, we are sometimes often ahead of their guidelines in terms of all the, all the healthy um, direction that we want to take. And there's a full bar here, too. And what I really like is that there are a number of different uh, beverages, Chinese beverages, from dessert wines to specialty teas. I'm a big tea drinker, and there's two different types of teas. But more importantly, there's some interesting desserts, including the banana cheesecake egg roll. Yes, that's, that's really become uh, one of our favorites. You know, guests, guests really love that one, and uh, that's where they actually put um, a, a banana cheesecake, wrap it within an egg roll shell, and it is served with your choice of, of, of ice cream, and it, it can serve too, and, and that's, that's really a great dessert. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, we also have a, a new uh, sort of rice pudding uh, dessert, which is uh, actually made from a red sticky uh, Chinese rice, and, and we, we have, still have our ginger cake as well as our, um, our, our um, old ice creams of uh, strawberry um, red bean ice cream as well as caramel ginger ice cream. And as you mentioned, we do have uh, two um, tea cocktails, which, which are cocktails made from hot tea. And uh, on a regular drinks, drinks menu, we have uh, many interesting new um, cocktails made from Chinese flavors. And we continue to serve uh, Qingdao beer. And we also have um, 
um, a great variety of international wines, and we also serve uh, gourmet teas as well. And so there's there's really something for everyone here, including kids. You have a full kids menu as well, as, and you know, thankfully, it's on something that it's got puzzles and games on there. But there's pot stickers and chicken and lo mein and meatballs, or something for your kids as well. But if people have special dietary restrictions, um, if they call ahead. Will they be able to talk to somebody here or talk to the chef if, they, if there's something that maybe that they can't have in their, in their dinner? Oh, certainly. I mean, that's one of the great things about Disney. We do definitely want to cater to every guest. And uh, we, for example, you know, we, 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 we clearly spell out that there are, there are peanuts and certain nuts in certain dishes for those who do have nut allergies. And it's, it's clearly stated uh, that, that, we could, um, that, we, that we definitely want to accommodate everyone's special requests and just, just speak to our cast members and they'll try their best to help you out. Excellent. And, you know, finally, as part of the education and entertainment and the, the full dining experience, one of the things I loved is, is something that maybe guests might sort of overlook is that your placemat isn't just a placemat, but it really sort of teaches you about the history and the legacy of Chinese writing and writing characters and gives you a chance to sort of practice your own Chinese characters. Yes, well... Um a big thing at Disney is certainly to show, and we want to, to add as much show elements as possible. And this is great because of the interactivity w- with our guests. Um, it's, it's sort of a on a, a scroll, if you will, as a placemat, and it shows the history, the evolution of uh, Chinese calligraphy, Chinese writing, and, and gives guests the opportunity to uh, try try these characters out, out themselves. And it's great for kids. It's great for adults. It's it's it's, it's fun. It's educational, and it's, it's really it's it's a very beautiful uh, work of art as well. Right, and one thing that you won't find on the menu and you won't see necessarily when you walk in the door or are looking at this on the map is something that I experienced and I noticed other guests did as well, and it was the exceptional level of service that we received. And I know it's not just because we walked in on opening day, but it seemed like it's something that you really are focusing on from the traditional greeting that we all get as soon as we walk in the door. Well, yes. I mean, certainly at Disney, uh, service is a big focus of ours. Uh, whenever a guest walks in, there is a traditional Chinese greeting that they get, and um, they're, they're sort of walked around, toured around the dining room because it is a new dining room. They're introduced to the menu, introduced to the the placemat, introduced to the new music that we have as well, and, and so it's all a, a very holistic and very synergistic uh, tour that they do get. Absolutely, and really it, it is a dining experience. Um, it's more than just what you eat, it's the service, it's the decor, it's the heritage, it's the history, and I really appreciate the three of you taking your time today to introduce us all to the new Nine Dragons, educate us on some of that legacy and the history and the meaning behind what we see here and, and what we're eating as well. Um, for more information, obviously, people can visit DisneyWorld.com, or better yet, I highly recommend you coming to visit and enjoy all of the wonderful dishes here at Nine Dragons. And I would was going to try my best to say thank you in Chinese, and I wrote it out in the pronunciation, but rather than just butchering the language, I'll just say thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, now how should I have said it? Um, it's uh, xie xie. I was close. I was really... <laughs> All right, close enough. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you very much. My very special guest this week is a man whose career in Walt Disney World spanned a decade, and in that time oversaw not just the operations for a single park or resort hotel, 
But the entire operation, encompassing tens of thousands of guest rooms, four theme parks, water parks, golf courses, a shopping village, sports complex, and more than 58,000 cast members that support it. And even more impressive than his accomplishments during that time is the journey he took to get there, having literally been hit over the head to help act as a catalyst to his mastery of leadership skills and ultimately an incredible career with the Disney company. The process led him to create strategies that the company still uses today and now shares with others as well through his teachings and now his new book, Creating Magic, 10 Common Sense Leadership Strategies from a Life at Disney, which is an inspiring look at the foundation and the processes behind Disney's ability to create exceptional guest satisfaction. So today, it is my honor to welcome the former Executive Vice President of Operations at the Walt Disney World Resort, Mr. Lee Cockrell, to the show. Mr. Cockrell, thank you so much for taking the time today and joining me on the WDW Radio Show. Thank you, Lou. It's great to be here. So I have to start, before we talk about your, your time at the company, about that journey. You know, How do you go from the farm in Oklahoma to Executive Vice President of Operations, and what sort of attracted you to the Disney company? Well, you know, I started out in Oklahoma, kind of learned the basics, uh, grew up on a farm, kind of learned to work hard, do what you're supposed to do. Uh, I think my mother was responsible for my, most of that. And then I uh, went to college, didn't do too well. I, didn't, I don't learn well that way. Went in the Army. When I got out, I started in the hospitality business at the Washington Hilton in Washington, D.C. as a banquet waiter and got a break, got into a management training program, tried to be the best I could be. and. It seemed after that I just kept getting promoted and I stayed with Hilton eight years. I was with Marriott for 17, then I was with Disney 16 years and 10 of those years running Walt Disney World Operations. So it, it uh, would probably, probably surprise my high school teachers that I ended up with that job. They think there's some identity theft going on here. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's the classic fairy tale story of the person that, you know, doesn't finish college and yet has such an exceptional career um, because it's sort of the, the life lessons that you learned were so much more important than maybe the book lessons. They really were, and that's the way I learn best. And I think even schools and education today is going to have to learn that that is true. Different people learn in different ways, and we're going to have to help students do better because a lot of students don't do well just in a book and taking tests. They have to actually do it, and I think we're going to see a change in that in the years ahead of how education approaches uh, teaching people to have a good career and uh, uh, how, to, how to do it in a different way. Well, look at Walt Disney himself. You know, he didn't. I mean, kids that stay in school, don't get me wrong. You know, this is not the path we're telling you to take, but sometimes uh, the lessons that your mother taught you are more valuable than the lessons your teacher do. Well, they were. And of course, Disney World was a great place because uh, the expectation from the guests is just so high here. And the cast members are so proud of what they do that I kind of had the perfect job. Because really, when you think about it, most of the guests who come to Disney World are happy. And not like a lot of businesses out there where people are not happy when they're going into a bank or to <laughs> some business to do business with the, with the employees of that business. So I, I had a great place, great job. Cast members do a terrific job here. So it made it a lot easier on me. Well, you talk about in the book the variety of life lessons that you learned. And, you know, that sort of helped bridge that gap between you becoming, going from student really to teach her were, were some of those um, life lessons and the journey that it brought you? Well, I tell people all the time, they say, what do you think the most important job of a leader is? And I, I actually think it is being a teacher. 
And I had to learn that. The first half of my career, I was kind of a hard-nosed manager, pushed people around and intimidated them and got the job done, but I didn't make many friends, and I didn't really get people committed. They just did it because they were afraid. And uh, I learned, luckily, halfway through my career to start focusing on being a better leader, learning about that, taking seminars on leadership, reading about it, trying to change so I could leave a legacy of people thinking that I actually helped them move ahead instead of helped me move ahead. And so being a teacher is an important thing, and everybody should remember that. Every day we have an opportunity to teach people through our own role modeling, uh, through the, our own behaviors, uh, and the way we conduct ourselves. And uh, it's important and shouldn't be forgotten. Right, and, and we'll talk about the way you deal with the cast members and the way you deal with employees. But one of the things that, that struck me that I read was, you know, you've always been very accessible to your employees. I mean, literally and figuratively with an open door policy. And so much so that you actually moved your offices from a fourth floor to a first floor behind the front desk, literally with your door open, I mean, inviting employees to come in and talk to you directly. Well, I think unless you know what's going on, you really can't make good decisions and you can't run the business. And the more your people see you, the more they're going to trust you, the more they're going to help you run the business, the more they're going to tell you what's going on. And, uh, you know, basically I need to be there to help them and to stand up for them and to do uh, the tough things when things go rough and tough and not hide up in an office somewhere and... Uh, and in fact, I learned. Every time I got involved in a situation, I learned about it and was able to help correct it for the hotel or for Disney World or for whatever. And when you're not, when you don't, when you're not involved in it, you don't learn the lesson the same as you do when somebody just tells you about it later. So that was important to me. Very true. And obviously, you know what you help to do here with the cast members leads to that exceptional service that we've all come to expect. And we're, we're going to talk about that and some of the magic that we, that we sort of make reference to. But you start off the book right off the bat by saying, and, and I quote, it's not the magic that makes it work, it's the way we work that, that makes it magic. And what does that really mean to you? Well, it means to me that a lot of people think that this just happens by accident, that it's clean and it's courteous and every all 60,000 people are nice and everything's just great. And it's not. It's that we have a, a way we do it. We have a way we do it. We have good selection, we have a selection process, we have good training, we have good development, we have good testing to make sure people know what they're doing. Uh, there are, are many systems, procedures, policies, operating guidelines, and high expectations and training that makes this happen. So that well, the reason I put that in there is any company can do that if they just understand that it doesn't happen by accident. If you put the right plan together and hold your people accountable and, and frankly tell them what you want, most people want to do a good job for you. Most businesses just don't sit down and tell them, here's what we need. And I can tell you, they, I never worry about the cast members of Walt Disney World. They are proud of what they do. Even when they're mad at us sometimes, they come in and do a great job because they're proud and they're professional. And uh, it's all around expectation and then doing all the right things to make it happen. It's kind of like raising your kids. It doesn't happen by accident. <laughs> There's a lot of tough work along the way. And then one day somebody says, you have great kids, and you go, wow, you don't know what I went through. Well, it's the same at work. You go through a lot, and we hold people accountable, and we hold ourselves accountable for excellence because we have the big, biggest reputation in the world, and we're not going to have if we don't keep doing that. So, Well, I mean, it's always, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be able to talk to you for personal reasons because as both a guest and somebody who's been an employer, uh, I, I've always been amazed at the cast members and wondering how Disney has consistently been able to get such performance and such care from 60,000 people who, for the most part, honestly, have no vested interest in the company. It's not like a mom and pop and they actually own it. What, I mean, is there, I mean, obviously there's no secret, but, you know, what is it that 
you are able to do here that nobody else seems to be able to do on that level? I think it's the expectation. I think we hold everyone with a high expectation to perform. I think we do a great job of orienting people to what how big the purpose is at what we do, that we're, we really change lives of people when they come down here. It's kind of like a hospital. I told a hospital group yesterday, I said, you know, you have one of the greatest purposes in the world. You save lives. We make people happy. Those are wonderful purposes. And people love to have a job that has purpose. And we talk about that purpose all the time so that when you're out here sweeping the streets or making up a bed or uh, frying a hamburger, you know that you are a part of making people happy in one of the most important places in the world and most famous places in the world. Everybody likes to say they work for Disney. So it's just a matter of you get what you want. And if you want it and you talk about it and you're proud about it and the leadership role models it and the leadership believes it, it will happen in any business. Well, I think that's... The key is that you are able to make the person who is not the frontline cast member interacting with guests who may be fixing their beds or cleaning up or making the hamburger, that their job really is as, as important as anybody else's out here. Yeah, just come back to your room at night and not have your bed made. <laughs> or you can't get your lunch. Or the french fries aren't cooked properly. All of these things add up to when you go home, you're saying, boy, that wasn't a very good place. On the other hand, if all those things go well, you go back and say, wow, what a great place Disney is. Because it's a, it's a combination of everything that happened to you. And that's why we've got to reach the people in the back, in the front, all over, because it's all connected. It's like a big puzzle. You lose a few pieces of the puzzle, you can't tell what the picture is. And so that's a big deal. Yeah, and you made a lot of, of changes during your tenure here to make that happen. And actually, your book is, is actually based upon something that you wrote and you produced for cast members for you know, more than a decade ago called Great Leader Strategies. And tell us a little bit about what that document was um, and what sort of led you to turn that internal um, piece of information into something that you wanted to share with others. Well, it was back in 1995. I was frustrated because I wasn't getting the results I wanted to get from some leaders, and I didn't know quite what to say to them, how to tell them that. And I, w I worked with a consultant for about a year, and we started. I, I sat and talked to her every week about what I did right in my career, what I did wrong, what I wish I did, what I wish I had done, what I wish our leaders would do better with their people. And we ended up with this document called Disney Great Leader Strategies just through talking through examples over the years. And that and it was an amazing. Then we rolled it out to all the leaders at Walt Disney World and it stuck because it was common sense. It was just telling them, here's what it looks like from the people being led. If you'll do these things, your people will have more respect for you. If you'll be available for your people, they're gonna have more respect for you. You're gonna get better results. So the Great Leader Strategy turned out to be just a fabulous document, far beyond what I ever thought it would be. And a good document to be able to talk to people about their performance and what it really needed to look like and to give real life examples, and then became a good foundation for me to use to write the book. Right. And talking about those real life examples, a lot of them were based on things that you personally experienced. And again, you talked about how sort of some of the adversity really helped shape what you do and your leadership skills. because. Certainly what, what makes a great leader is not just his successes, but how he deals with some of those adverse situations. What do you think maybe your most challenging experience was during your time here at Walt Disney World? Well, I think certainly 9-11 was, if I had to pick one, the hurricanes were tough, but 9-11 was a shock. And it hit us on a Tuesday morning. We're all ready to go. Normal day. Everything's great. Business is great. And starting the next morning, we had a drop of 35 40% in our business. And just the shock of what had happened in the nation. And that was my proudest day at Disney World is to see how the cast members, and I'm not kidding you, every cast member stayed, did their job, showed no emotion to the guests, didn't get rattled, 
pulled it off. We got everybody out of those parks, back to their hotels, took care of them, got people food, and took care of the characters over. It was unbelievable. And that was the day it proved to me that if you have a group of people who are proud of what they're doing, you don't have to tell them what to do. They know what to do. And they stepped up, and they d it was unbelievable. It was, and I put that in the book, it was unbelievable. And so that was hard. And, but, and it was hard working through it to figure out how to get the costs in line, to get through that, and to, uh, and to end up not hurting the guest service, and to keep the cast committed, even though we went through some tough time with some people not getting their full hours, and, and uh, reduced, and people doing several jobs, and, and uh, people really cooperated. And I think it was, a, it, it was, I take my hat off to leadership, for they had a trusting relationship with their people, and they stepped up and took care of, took care of business. And you actually said what I was going to ask you, which was, was that maybe even your proudest moment when you're looking at the people, I hate to say underneath you, but the people that you, you know, taught to lead and the cast members that you led, how they actually were able to step up? Yeah, what was proud, what makes you proud of it is I just sat back and it happened. Because you know what? One person can't do much at all. I always talk about it. One person can't get 8,000 hamburgers out of Pecos Bills. You better have a committed, dedicated team that wants to do it or it won't happen. And so it wasn't one of my proudest of And the hurricanes. When the cast volunteered, 5,000 of them, to stay on property and get up the minute the wind stopped blowing and get out there and get this place ready, and it opened. It opened the next morning. The guests were shocked. But that is commitment. That is pride. That is an organization that far excels above any other kind of company. And the other thing I noticed, too, is that, you know, obviously you can't touch all 60,000 cast members. You know, you, you're, you're the head of operations for the number one tourist destination in the world, but you do, you know, you were not, you were a very hands-on person. How do you kind of keep your finger on the pulse of 60,000 cast members and four theme parks and, you know, an area that's really, people don't realize, it's twice the size of Manhattan? Yeah. Well, I did a couple things. First, I scheduled time each week to be out. So I would be in a hotel, in a park, walking around two or three hours, unannounced, with my grandkids, seeing what's going on from the guest point of view. I started writing the Main Street Diary so I could, every Friday night, send out a, a note to all 60,000 cast members, helping them believe in what they were doing, and pra praising them, encouraging them, uh, giving them recognition. Uh, I went to every event I was invited to, if it was 20 people or 300 people, and, and they would ask me to speak, and I would, and I could tell them how proud I was of them. And, give them encouragement and tell them how what the purpose of our company was and I just uh, you just uh, have to have many strategies to communicate you got to be touching people in many different ways and then when I did that they would probably talk to other people and say you know you weren't there but here's what he said so you you get leverage from that so you can't hide in the office you got to be finding a million ways to communicate and when you do it well they respond. Main Street Diary was highly popular, mainly because I recognized a lot of cast members every week in it, told them how great they were, and told them why they were great and what they had done, and other cast members learned from that. So there's a lot of ways you can do it if you want to do it. If you want to be out and about, you can be out and about. So, okay, you mentioned Main Street Diaries, which, you know, makes me think of your window on Main Street, which, you know, I think to many people is maybe the highest honor that you can get because you are truly immortalized and, and well-deserved. And your window actually reads the Main Street Diary, True Tales of Inspiration, Lee A. Cockrell, Editor-in-Chief. Um, obviously paying homage to the publication. What, what exactly was the Main Street Diary? And actually, I should say, what are, because it's still being uh, published today, even after you've left the company. Well, I'd always wanted to do it, and I kept talking myself out of it. I wasn't sure I had anything to say, you know, and we're in a big company that's kind of bureaucratic, and how do you get started, and you shouldn't be out doing your own thing. And so one day I just did it, and nobody, nobody did anything to me, so I kept doing it, kept doing it, and it 
slowly caught on. It was just a little thing to begin with. And then I started adding sections, a section on leadership, a section on how to have a good pre-shift meeting, a good section on diversity and inclusiveness so we have a good place where everybody feels comfortable working here. And I just kept adding community involvement, volunteerism, and it just grew and grew and grew. And then I really added the big section where I started putting guest letters in that recognized the cast members by name. And then I started giving them a pen if they got recognized in there, and it grew. And in, and in fact, it just shows you sometimes you hold yourself back. I didn't think it would work, wasn't sure it would work, did it anyway, worked, turned out to be one of the best things I ever did. And some of the things that you talked about, like showing your appreciation, let's talk about the book, because a lot of those very practical and almost somewhat straightforward, you, you know, when you see it, it just makes sense, are lessons that you teach in there. And, and talk about the power of inclusion and things like your rave principle and, and ARE. Well, you know, first, cha- first strategy in the book is titled, Remember, Everyone is Important. Let me tell you what, if you get that right in your life, everything else goes just fine. If you can remember everyone's important and treat people respectfully and include them and listen to them and involve them and give them opportunity and train them and develop them, everything's going to go just fine. And that's why I'm trying to tell leaders everywhere that read this book, get that one right. Mm-hmm. And in there's 13 tactics on how to do that. Get to know your people better. Listen to them. Include them in the conversation. Things like that. And then the free fuel one was about recognition, appreciation, and encouragement. I titled the fuel R, A-R-E. You know, you have Exxon, cost you four bucks a gallon, R cost you nothing. We all have a full tank every morning. It's easy for you to, how many times a day do you and I and others miss the opportunity to appreciate, recognize, and encourage people? And let me tell you what, the times we're in right now, people need it. They're scared, they need it a lot. Some people may get laid off. People who are left behind are going to need a lot of encouragement, recognition, and appreciation to hang in there and keep doing the job. So some of these principles are certainly common, but they're not common practice. But they could be common practice because this is not hard stuff to learn. It's just stuff your mother already taught you. You just need, like I said, my next week is going to be managed like a mother. You know, We know these things, but we get in corporate life and we forget them. And it's too, it's too bad. There's a lot of insecure people out there. And everybody has a problem you don't know about that you as a leader can help them with. And that's what I want people to do. Make work great. So when people come in, they're glad they're coming to work and they're not waking up in the morning wishing it was over already. And the beauty of of the book, I think, is that it really, you talk about leadership strategies and management and corporate, but it's not just for leaders and managers, but a lot of these principles, people can benefit from in their everyday life because they are so practical, because they are so easy to follow. Well, I, I, and I make that point. I was interviewed by a radio station this morning. I said, you know, one of the groups that I'm getting a lot of feedback from, I like this book, are 10th, 11th, and 12th graders. They see it. They see the, they make the, the points are not hard to understand, that they can be leaders at school. They can be leaders on the football team. They can be leaders in their neighborhood. The mother who doesn't work who's the leader in the neighborhood. Mo- mothers and fathers who need to be better leaders at home raising their children. And all This book applies to any business in any situation where leadership is required, and everybody has the ability to be a leader. Absolutely. And like I said, you know, when you read some of the lessons, they almost seem... Like a wow! I should have just known that. You know, they seem basic on the you know on their face, like staying ahead of your com- competitors and focusing on the customer service. But some of the other lessons are much more profound, such as making people believe in the brand and, like I said, burning the free fuel by appreciating and more importantly, recognizing the employees. Yeah, I mean, when I talk about that one uh, strategy, and make your people your brand. Well, in fact, that's what it is. The brand at Disney are the frontline cast members. Because I guarantee you, if you go home and you've been here a week 
When you think back about what a wonderful experience you have, you'll be thinking about people. You'll be thinking about that lady who helps you at 10 o'clock at night, that guy who helps you in the restaurant. They already know the attractions and entertainment's going to be great. What blows people away are our people. It's incredible. One lady told me I was looking for magic in all the wrong places, Lee. It's your cast members who are the magic. And when you can get that in any business, just think about all the business you go to. It's the people. It's not that they fixed the car. It's how great they did and how they cared. In the hospital, let me tell you, I'm going through a tough time with my wife right now. I'm being sick. When you find somebody who cares for you and about you, when they care about you also, and they check in with you and want to know how things are and can I help, is there anything else I can do, and they're quick to get that medication, and we got to learn to care about people, not just care for them. And that's the difference. And that's what we do at Disney better than anybody in the world. Absolutely. And it's something that I have felt uh, uh, since day one that it, it, you're right, it's not about attractions or shows or dare I say, even the food, but it is about the experience and what every single cast member, the little thing that a cast member does that costs the company nothing to make that guest happy. That makes all, and that's what, that's the memory that they're going to have for the rest of their life. Not, you know, the good time they had on whatever ride it might be, but the thing that the cast member did to make their daughter or their son smile. They'll always remember those interactions with the cast. That's every, almost every single letter we get is about the cast member with the cast member's name in it. Not about an attraction, not about a show. It's always about the cast member, thousands of them. And that's why the light came on. It's our people that are our brand. Anybody can, well, we know. We have a lot of competitors that have attractions, and, but they don't have the brand reputation we have. Only we have the brand reputation because it's through people. And that's why Disney has the following that they do too and the, the people who follow it and love it as much as I and I know other people do is because they're passionate about it and that really is something that you preach in the book is that anything you do in life and that's why I say the book is more than just for, for business people anything that you do in life you got to be passionate about doing well you do have to be passionate about it because if you're not passionate about it it's pretty boring life <laughs> let me tell you what and I always tell people if you hate what you're doing wake up every morning and do a good job anyway but go look for something else to do and hopefully eventually you'll find that something else to do because when you're not passionate it brings everybody around you down and that's why I think we see at Disney pretty much everybody's up mm-hmm. it, the chances of you running into a rude cast member at Disney World is almost zero it just doesn't happen it could happen it might happen it does happen occasionally, but very very seldom and, uh, and that's because I think people are proud. They're proud of what they do. And it's, it's great to be proud of what you do and to have passion. And it's energizing. It makes you feel happy. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's maybe, you know, almost the answer to my next question, which was, you know, how do you, you know, we all sort of understand when we talk about Disney magic and what that means and sort of how do you sort of quantify it and encapsulize it and maybe the cast members and, and what's been taught to them and what, what goes on internally to make them perform the way they do is what creates that for us as guests. Well, I think that magic is different for every guest. You know, if Cinderella and a cast member go out of their way to take a four-year-old and just make sure she meets Cinderella and spend some time with her, that is the magic for that family. The next family might be that we do a great job because the child has allergies and we are able to prepare the exact right meal at Disney, and that's magic for that family. It's different for every person, but that's why we do it well, because the cast members know here that they can take individualized care of our guests. 
If they know something, they'll take care of it. They'll make them feel special. They'll treat them as individuals. They'll show respect to every guest, no matter where they're from, whether they speak English or not, what their religion is, what their sexual orientation is, what their gender is, disability. That is the difference. We create magic one by one. We don't just have this. Because if we didn't, it would be phony. This is when I know you got a little issue, something would make you happy, I do it, that's magic. That is magic for me. A a absolutely. A and I'm smiling because it, it really does sort of quantify, uh, you know, what we all sort of understand and, and feel. But, uh, you know, your book, again, what I enjoyed about it was it was very practical. Um, at the end of each chapter, you have these action steps that are just practical lessons that you can follow. Well, I put those in there because I want this book to kind of be a manual, too. You know, for years, people have been saying, how does Disney do it? And Disney finally let us write the book. So if you want to know how to do it, at the end of each chapter, those would be great discussion points. I have a company right now that 40 of their managers get together every Wednesday on the phone from around the United States, and they do one chapter of this book, and they use those questions at the end for discussion. And they've asked me to join in with them on December 17th. And they're using it as a leadership forum on how to develop leadership. Even though they can't get together because they're in California, New York, all over the place, they're using that book. And they love the summaries at the end mm -hmm. to talk about each one of those summary questions. And when you think about it, just yourself, go through and answer each one of those. All of us could say, could I do this better? How well am I doing this? This makes sense. Why don't I do this? But over time, perhaps you could adopt some more of those things, and be then people say, "Whoa, what a great leader Lou is!" <laughs> you know, or what, how much he's improved, or all of us. There's always room for improvement, and you only know what you know. And so, if you can learn something from this book, and that is common sense and practical, and it's not diagrams, it's stories, it's heartwarming stories that are true, and I think people learn best by stories. They remember the story and how it, how it made them feel. Exactly, and that's what it was. In addition to being practical and something you can open up and learn lessons from, the stories really go a long way to reinforce the lessons you teach in each of the chapters that you break out. Right, that was fun doing those. And there's a lot of stories at Disney, so I had no problem with stories. <laughs> and again, it's very accessible. This, you do not need to be uh, a corporate leader. You don't need to be an executive. Uh, it's very easy to read. It's very easy to understand. Uh, but the lessons are, are truly invaluable because they do come from years of experience and your trials and your tribulations. And I think all those things that you, you teach and you preach in here are vital to your success, whether you measure it personally or professionally. And hopefully they can help other people do the same. Instead of going through life wishing I'd have known something, maybe they could read the book and learn in advance, start practicing some of those things early. I kind of learn by tripping a few times and getting in trouble and things. And I wish I'd have known some of these things earlier. I might have been a better leader way back and helped some other people that maybe I didn't help so much. But in the last half of my career, I finally knew these things, and I knew I was making a difference because I was helping people instead of trying to run around and help myself to everything. So it's, it well, it's wonderful that you share it, uh, not just at the lessons that are taught at the Disney Institute now, um, but that you do share it with the book. And, and I highly, highly recommend people go and visit your website over at leecockerell.com. You can also pick up the book on any online or retail store. Uh, Mr. Cockrell, obviously, congratulations on all of your success and on behalf of myself and every other guest that's sort of continuing to be able to reap the benefits of your leadership and your training and your incredible commitment to that guest experience. Uh, I want to thank you for all, everything that you've done to create so much true Disney magic for so many people. I appreciate it, and I thank you for taking the time to interview me about the book. I think it can help a lot of people, and I hope it does. Thank you. I agree. Thank you. 
It's time to announce the winner of last week's trivia contest. And first, thank you all so much for playing. I was amazed at the number of entries received for this one. As you recall, the question was, what are the holidays celebrated or featured in Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress? And the answers were Valentine's Day, around the turn of the century, the 4th of July, in the scene in the 1920s, Halloween, around the 1940s, and Christmas in quote-unquote future-slash-modern-day. And before I announce the winner, I'm going to give a, a special consolation prize to somebody who's Jeff Peterson, whose response must have caught me at just the right time. Maybe I needed extra sleep at that point. But it made me laugh so hard I almost spilled my Pepsi on my MacBook, which could have been like the Pepsi syndrome. Uh, he said... Lou, for your question about the holidays in the Carousel of Progress, I'm going to veer away from the obvious and submit this list. Guy Fawkes Day, Cinco de Mayo, Ramadan, and Kwanzaa. So while I don't suggest people answering like this in the future uh, for future contests and trivia questions this way, I'm going to give them a calendar just for creativity and, again, possibly just catching me at the right time. Anyway, the real winner is none other than Keith R. Squires. Keith, congratulations, Thank you for playing. Please email me your address. Now, for this week, since it seems that so many of you really enjoy playing, then again, I'm not sure if it's that you enjoy playing or you just like the free stuff, we're not going to just have another contest this week because we're not going to have just one, not two, but five winners this week. Uh, I have in my hands, actually on my desk, five copies of Lee Cockerell's new book, Creating Magic, to give away as prizes And just because I had such a great week in Disney this week and so many of you were excited about following and playing along in last week's trivia contest, I'm also going to give you a copy of the audio guide to Main Street USA. So you get a copy of Lee's book and the first audio guide in this series. So, okay, here's this week's question. In what World Showcase pavilions can you find Miyuki, Sergio, a pickle tree, and Lefsa? It could be four different pavilions. It could be the same pavilion. But I need you to tell me where you can find those four things, people, whatever they might be. Miyuki, Sergio, a pickle tree, and Lefsa. So if you followed my Twitter updates this week, uh, that'll give one of those answers away pretty easily. So you have until 11.59 p.m. on Saturday, November 22nd. To email your answer in to lou at wdwradio.com. Remember, there are five winners this week that will be chosen randomly from all of the correct entries. So remember, it's more important to be right, not necessarily first. So there you go. That's week's, this week's trivia contest question. Good luck, and more importantly, have fun. Many of you have emailed me reminding me that my 100th episode of the WDW radio show is coming up in just a few weeks. And I can't believe 
that we're almost at 100 episodes already. And that's about, do the math, about 750 hours of show audio, right? So a number of you emailed me and asked, what am I going to do to celebrate the 100th episode? And I've had a couple of ideas that I've been kicking around. Unfortunately, as one listener suggested, um, I cannot rent out the Magic Kingdom and invite all the listeners to come in for free. Believe me, in my heart of hearts, I would love to do that for all of you to some to, to say thanks. Uh, and hopefully, maybe one day I can, but right now I'm just not there yet. But if you do have other suggestions, of course, I'm open to ideas. But what I did want to do was use this milestone as something more than just celebrating the show itself. I wanted to try and use this opportunity to do something good. And believe me, I have never, nor will I ever, ask for money or donations or anything like that for the benefit of the site or the show. But now I'm going to ask for your help for a little bit something different. Because I think we should take that number 100 and let's sort of use it for the Dream Team Project, which you may or may not know is our fundraising initiative to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. Because since I started writing my first book, um, at that time I was taking my father for cancer treatment over at Memorial Sloan Kettering Hospital in the city. And I saw so many children there and it had such a profound impact on me that I felt compelled to do something to help. And rather than donate money to research and funding that honestly, these kids might never reap the benefits of, I wanted to do something to help them now by sharing in some small way a bit of the magic that many of us get to experience um, so I, I formed the Dream Team Project, and since then, the community has come together to do amazing things on a scale that I never could have fathomed. We have collectively raised tens of thousands of dollars, not just over the span of years, but in a matter of hours. And goals that we've set on our fundraising page have been met and exceeded time and time again through the generosity of so many people and the tireless efforts of the incredible Dream Team Project volunteer staff. So I thought that as we approach our 100th show, let's try and meet 100% of our current goal. Donations are collected through a secure page over at firstgiving.com, which I'll link to in the show notes. And to date, we've raised almost $41,000. And our current fundraising target is set at $45,000. So we're close to reaching that goal. And Please believe me, I know that this is a very, very tough economic time for everybody. But because giving back to others has always been so important to me, I can think of no better way to celebrate 100 shows than to reach 100%. And whether you can give $1 or $10, every cent um, makes a difference. And it's really going to go towards making a, a terminally or chronically ill child and their family's dream come true by letting them have the ability to visit Walt Disney World through the efforts of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. So, again, I'll put the link to the First Giving page in the show notes this week. Thank you all so, so much for your support of the show over the past few years and for any help that you guys can provide during this effort to reach 100% for 100 shows. That's all the time we have this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. 
Big thanks go out to the management and owners of the Nine Dragons Restaurant. For more information, visit DisneyWorld.com. I'll put a link in this week's show notes directly to the Nine Dragons website. Special thanks go out to everyone over at Doubleday Books, and especially to Mr. Lee Cockrell, who was gracious enough to meet with me in the parks this week to be able to sit and speak with somebody who's responsible for literally helping to create so much magic through his work with the cast members was really a privilege for me. Speaking of creating magic, that's the name of his new book, which you can get at any bookstore, online, or by visiting leecockerell.com for more information as well. Of course, thanks to everybody who wrote in with an email or called in with a voicemail this week. If you have a question you want read on the air, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com, or if you want to be heard on the air yourself, you can call the new toll-free voicemail at 1-888-703-2171. That's 888-703-2171. You know, I love it when you call in with feedback, comments, or right from the parks. Last couple of quick updates. Be sure and come by DisneyWorldTrivia.com. Again, you can still get copies of my signed Walt Disney World Trivia books, the audio guides to Main Street USA and Adventureland. And yes, the next one is on its way. My new 2009 Walt Disney World Page a Day trivia calendar. Again, they are going fast, and when they're sold out, that's it. I have no more. Uh, if you want one for the holidays, I suggest getting them sooner rather than later. Again, you can get all those over at the shop at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. Thanks to everybody who contacted me and Tim about the first issue of Celebrations Magazine. We are so happy to hear that so many of you got it and are enjoying it. If you haven't subscribed, you can still do that over at CelebrationsPress.com. Know that if you subscribe now, you won't get the first issue because it's already out. But if you do want to get it, you can still purchase that one individually from the site as well. And of course, much like this show, we want the magazine to be interactive. We want you to be a part of it. So... Send in your photos for inclusion in the magazine, or if you have questions, a comment, a letter to the editor, you can send those over to lou at wdwradio.com. Go by, visit the show notes this week for links to everything that I covered on the show. And there, of course, you'll also find specials from some of my partners like Mouse Fan Travel, All-Star Vacation Homes, and Owner's Locker, where you can still get $50 off the sign-up fee, meaning it's just $25 to get your own personal storage locker. Again, I used it on this past trip. I could not imagine vacationing without it. Those are on the website in the show notes at wdwradio.com. To talk about the show, to comment on anything that you've heard, interact with other listeners, please go and visit the forums over at disneyworldtrivia.com. And as always, if you like the show, please just help spread the word. Let others know about it. Review us on iTunes. Come over, say hi on Facebook, or follow my instant updates on Twitter. You visit twitter.com slash Speaking of which, I want to say thank you to everybody who followed my updates from the parks this past week and played my Where in the World game every day with me. It was a lot of fun, and I really do appreciate you guys joining me. Kind of gave me the sense that many of you are with me each and every day, and I kind of hope the updates and the photos brought a little bit of the parks to you at home and to everybody that I had a chance to meet in the parks, the resorts, and, of course, yes, the restaurants. Thanks for coming by and saying hello. Of course, my friends, you know I mean it when I say thank you for taking the time and tuning in again this week. So until next time, I hope you have a great week. See ya. Hi, Lou. This is Laura from San Diego. And I really, really enjoyed the piece on the Haunted Mansion, the um, things you love about the Haunted Mansion. 
Uh, being in San Diego, I go to Disneyland a lot more than Disney World. I've been on both. And I have two confessions. That one, yes, I do slide over and make room for the hitchhiking ghost every time. And two, as many times as I've ridden both of the haunted mansions, more than I can possibly count, I admittedly, I'm so ashamed to say, never got that I was being thrown out of the attic window down to the graveyard. And I'm, I'm just, I'm so glad to know that now. But um, I, I can't believe I didn't get that. But um, I also wanted to say that my favorite thing about the Haunted Mansion is uh, when Disneyland's Haunted Mansion turns into Jack's Haunted Mansion. It is so fantastic. Something is added every year, it seems, and it just gets better and better. And uh, I hope you've seen it. And if you haven't, why not? It's fantastic. It's going on right now. And it's something I ride two or three times every trip during from Halloween to Christmas. It's so great. I love the show, and I hope you're putting up the new one right now. And I can't wait to hear it. Bye, Lou. Hey, Lou. It's Dave. Love the show, and can't wait to see you in the parks. Hey, Lou. This is Melanie Ramirez here in the uh, South Texas area in McAllen, Texas. I just got finished listening to your show about sounds. Um, I'm calling a little late after the show, but I thought it was really neat. And there's one in particular that gets me every single time, even if I hear this sound and I'm not, uh, it's not pertaining to Disney. It's just one of those sounds that makes me think. Uh, when you walk into Adventureland and you're just going over the bridge, and you can hear the steel drums playing in the background. There's something about that sound, and the way we've always worked the parks as a tradition in the family is to do Pirates of the Caribbean first every single year. So I guess just knowing that we're headed to the first attraction, um, knowing it's going to be pirates, and hearing those steel drums as soon as you go over the bridge in, in Adventureland, I don't know, there's some feeling about it. And you'll hear them other places, and every time I hear the steel drums, I think of Adventureland. So um, thanks so much for the show. I listen to you all the time. I think you guys are great. Um, Keep up the great work, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Lou. This is John Beal from Zionsville, Indiana. Um, I was calling because I was listening to this week's podcast, and you were talking about Finding Nemo the Musical, and I love that musical. Um, It's one of my favorite ones ever period, even though it's only like half an hour long, it's, it's definitely up there, and I, I definitely like musicals, and it was actually kind of funny, because I, I bought the soundtrack like a year ago when it came out on iTunes, and so I was so excited to see Finding Nemo live when I went down there last January, and so I saw it, it was very interesting, it was awesome, and I love the actors, and Lexi Friedel was the person who played Dory, and she did an amazing job just doing the singing and dancing. And recently I saw the touring group of Avenue Q, like a month ago, and I was looking through my playbill, like looking at all the actors, and who, who was it? Lexi Friedel was no longer, I guess she's no longer in Finding Nemo, but she was in the touring group of Avenue Q, and I, just, I didn't even realize it. And then, like, there she was on stage, and it was really cool seeing her again in a totally different location, not even expecting to see Dory from Finding Nemo the Musical in Indiana. So that was really cool. Anyway, love the show. Bye. 